1963, on the 22nd of November, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. A day later, soul singer and songwriter Bobby Hebb lost his brother in a night fight outside a bar in Nashville, Tennessee. Sonny, yesterday my life was filled with rain. We write songs to explain the world to ourselves and make sense of joy and tragedy. Bobby Hebb did just that when he wrote this song, Sonny. Bobby Hebb might not necessarily be a household name per se, but his musical fingerprints are everywhere. He played at the Grand Ole Opry, backing up Roy Acuff. He was a backup singer for Bo Diddley, and he toured with the Beatles in 1966, one of music's most pivotal years. The song Sonny has lyrics that brim with joy and gratitude, but it's in a minor key. It's almost as if Bobby Hebb is telling us that light and dark are constantly dancing with each other and that the gift of song helps us decipher this duality. 1966 was all about this dance, and maybe in this episode, we just might learn a few moves. My name is Micah McKee. I'm a songwriter, and this is American 100. Broadcasting from the musical center of the universe into the vast stretches of the universe, this is American 100. Welcome to American 100, the show where we discuss the vast and not-so-random beauty of pop music. This is my trusted robot companion, Rando. Hello, humans. And at the end of every episode, Rando randomly selects a year and two spots on the Billboard Year End Hot 100 for us to discuss for the next episode. And at the end of the last episode, Rando selected the year 1966 and the numbers 25 and 64, which correlate with Red Rubber Ball by The Circle and Somewhere My Love by Ray Conniff Singers. So let's get into it. Let's go back in time to the year 1966. The world of popular song is full of rejects. The old adage of one person's trash is another person's treasure certainly applies to pop music. And many artists have had hit songs come into their world only to pass them off to other artists. And very often, these songs find the life that they were looking for, unfolding themselves and achieving their destiny. In the previous episode, we briefly mentioned Swedish producer Max Martin, co-author of Oops, I Did It Again by Britney Spears. In 2003, Max Martin heard this song, Maps, by Yeah Yeah Yeahs, and he was floored. 
he decided that he wanted to reinterpret this song. He loved this song's feel, the mood, even the key, but he wanted to transform it into a more accessible pop jam. He wrote and recorded his reinterpretation and gave it to the singer Pink to perform. Pink rejected it, and it landed on the desk of one Hilary Duff, who also rejected it. For a moment, this song idea had no home. Until finally, Kelly Clarkson came along and stepped in to record the song that Maps inspired. Max Martin gave it the title, Since You've Been Gone. Songwriters Keith Forsey and Steve Schiff were commissioned to compose the score for the John Hughes coming-of-age film The Breakfast Club in the fall of 1984. The lead single from the soundtrack was soundly rejected by a handful of artists, including Billy Idol and Roxy Music mastermind Brian Ferry. Eventually, Chrissy Hind convinced her husband Jim Kerr, the frontman of the band Simple Minds, to take a listen. He recorded it almost reluctantly, thinking it would be a throwaway song from a forgettable film. The film, of course, became an 80s cinema landmark, and Don't You Forget About Me became the most recognizable song of Simple Minds' career. One of country music's most brilliant luminaries was George Jones. The golden-voiced troubadour has had his fair share of hits, including this one, his biggest and most influential, He Stopped Loving Her Today. But he's also had his fair share of hits that he's passed up. And he even compiled a list of them that became an album called Hits I Missed and One I Didn't. The songs on this album are all excellent, and it's quite fascinating to get a glimpse into the mind of an artist shuffling back through the pages of time, wondering what could have been. Willie Nelson originally wrote this gorgeous tune, Funny How Time Slips Away. It could have belonged to George Jones. Instead, it was recorded by a man named Billy Walker. It's funny how some songs just slip away. There are so many reasons why songs are passed on or fall by the wayside. 
Sometimes it's just hard to see the full-grown life form a song will become while it's barely in its infancy. Songs just have so much growing to do. Sometimes tunes are given from one artist to another, resulting in the song living its best life and bringing joy to millions. This was the case with Paul Simon and a band called The Circle. I imagine most of you know that, that these are all Paul Simon songs that we're singing. There is, um, amongst the 23 or 24 songs that Paul has written, there's one that we have never recorded. It's about the only one. And a group called The Circle uh, beat us to it, recorded it, and sold 890,000 copies of it. <laughs> called Red Rubber Ball. Simon and Garfunkel enjoyed cultural prominence and success for much of their 60s run, but it didn't start out that way. Their debut album was a commercial flop, and songwriter Paul Simon quickly became impatient. In order to make a quick buck, he and Australian singer-songwriter Bruce Woodley wrote this song, Red Rubber Ball. His intention was to sell it to Woodley's folk pop band, The Seekers. The Seekers, at least most of them, hated the tune and rejected it. Yet another tune struggling to find its place in the universe. Enter the band The Circle. They met in college and started off as a garage rock band called the Rondells. Then came 1965, when they were discovered by Brian Epstein, manager of the Beatles, and their music and songwriting noticeably changed. You can certainly hear the Fab Four influence. In fact, John Lennon gave them the name, The Circle. 1966 was a huge year for The Circle. They had 14 opening dates for the Beatles and even played their famous final show at Candlestick Park. They opened for Simon and Garfunkel as well that year, and it was on that tour that Paul Simon offered them the song Red Rubber Ball. This time, there would be no rejection. Red Rubber Ball hit number 25 on the year-end Hot 100 of 1966. And in the hands of the circle, it became a luminous hybrid of birds, beetles, and Simon and Garfunkel-esque pop. It appeared on the charts at the same time as the Beatles' classic paperback writer, the same year that the Black Panther Party was founded, and the same year that The Sound of Music won the Oscar for Best Picture. 
The world had changed, and the circle's brand of half-stoned, lovelorn jangle pop seemed to arise at the exact right moment. These days, when Paul Simon talks about rejecting this song, there is a tinge of regret in his voice. Perhaps that's because the circle had turned an afterthought into a meditation, and Red Rubber Ball became a hit. One more note about rejects. Sometimes whole sections of songs are rejected or omitted. But when they're rediscovered, they reveal the song's true depth. This song's intro was originally rejected when it came down to its initial release. But when we hear it now, it teaches us something about the things we leave behind. When all the world is a hopeless jumble And the raindrops tumble all around Heaven opens a magic lane When all the clouds darken up the skyway There's a rainbow highway to be found Leading from your windowpane place behind the sun just a step beyond the Coming up, the beautiful friendship between sight and sound. You're listening to American 100. Hey folks, thanks for listening to American 100. I'm Micah McKee and I wrote the original music for this show and produced it along with Asher Griffith. And if you like content like this, then uh, think about dropping something in our jar. Head over to patreon.com slash cicada radio. Even a pledge of as little as a dollar a month means the world to us. We do this show because we love music and we love radio. So head to patreon.com slash cicada radio and uh, help us out if you can. Thanks. Oh, okay. Can you tell me your name uh, and what it is that you do for your work? Uh, my name is Brad Spiegel, and I'm a resilience planner for the Louisiana Watershed Initiative. On the first episode of River Runs Backwards, we covered the concept of watersheds with our expert, Bradley Spiegel. He took us on a tour of his neighborhood where the city is implementing a project using the concept of something called green infrastructure to mitigate flooding. I'd love to show you. All right, let's go. <laughs>
<laughs> However, we were not able to take a deep dive into the material that day. But luckily for y'all, we recorded the whole thing. Isn't that cool? It is cool. <laughs> now, we offer Brad's entire interview as a little bit of land yap for our Patreon subscribers. That this house is much higher than what we're standing on in the street. Uh-oh. Gunshot or firework? Firework. Firework. Yeah, firework. <laughs> the good and the bad. Just go to patreon.com slash cicada radio. Even as little as a dollar a month means the world to us. Plus, you'll get swag. And don't forget to subscribe to River Runs Backwards, wherever you get your podcasts. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Were you going to throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. Few experiences are as transportive as being immersed in the movies. Though the silent era enjoyed a successful heyday, it was the introduction of sound into the motion picture that truly gave the movies the ability to live up to their full potential. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Wait a minute, I tell you. And with sound came music. Released in 1927, the jazz singer was the first film to sport a musical score as well as synchronized singing and speech. The film itself centers around music as the lead character wrestles with the conflict between his devout Jewish heritage and his pursuit of a career in jazz music. Now, it's one thing to feature music in your film or to feature a score, but arguably film's most important musical contribution was the soundtrack album. And 10 years after The Jazz Singer, Walt Disney changed the game. In 1937, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs became the first film to have a soundtrack album. And the album, like the film itself, was a seismic success. Snow White's soundtrack was released as a triple 78 RPM disc set, and nearly everyone who had access to a record player was privy to this album. Disney would continue to crank out soundtrack albums attached to their films, and continued to have widespread success. In fact, Disney songwriters took a page out of Broadway and mastered a brand new art, building aural memories that exist with or without the films that birthed them. Some television and film music is so evocative, its power transcends its source material. This is Henry Mancini's theme to the television show Peter Gunn, for which he won two Grammys. (laughs) 
Notice how we don't even need to be told what the television show is about. We automatically get a sense of daring and danger. This is a special kind of songwriting, and one that almost no one was better at than this man, the master of the theme song and so much more, Mr. Quincy Jones. Quincy, along with Henry Mancini, brought the soundtrack to new creative and commercial heights, making film and television scores something that folks didn't just absorb from watching the screen, but something that people wanted to own. For the first time, soundtracks became cool. It's hard to overstate the cultural importance and the popularity of the soundtrack album. When I was growing up in the 1990s, the soundtrack album was massive. I remember going out to buy the CDs for films that I hadn't even seen, films that I didn't even want to see, just because the soundtrack was so damn good. I think about the soundtrack to Empire Records. Everyone I knew had that soundtrack on compact disc. I had it as a teenager, and it would be years before I even saw the film. Or my favorite soundtrack from the 1990s, Good Will Hunting, the album that made Elliot Smith a household name. The 80s and 90s were soundtrack albums at their peak. Dirty Dancing, Titanic, Magnolia, The Lion King, and the most popular soundtrack album of all time, The Bodyguard. These songs take the listener and drop them right into the film. Putting on these records made you a character in these films, a fantasy that Americans are absolutely entranced by. Who of us wouldn't want to be John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever, or John Travolta in Grease, or John Travolta in Phenomenon? You get it. The movies give us another life. And all the way back in the 1960s, Shirley Bassey gave us a life full of danger, sex, and extravagance. Her voice is like molten iron. So pure and raw, it seizes the listener and challenges them not to sweat. This, the 1960s, was the first golden age of the soundtrack album. And it was in 1965 that a curious light motif became the basis for a song that hit number 64 on the Billboard Year End Hot 100 of 1966. Every score to every film ever directed by the legendary David Lean was written and composed by Maurice Jure, including this one, Laura's Theme from the 1965 film, Dr. Zhivago. 
This was never supposed to be a pop song. In fact, Jure was adamantly against the idea. Jare wrote this piece after a trip to the mountains with his lover, and it ended up being the musical centerpiece of Dr. Zhivago. The piece had deep personal resonance with Jare, but that didn't stop the song from having mass easy listening appeal, bolstered by the popularity of the film itself. Vocal renditions were recorded, but the most popular is probably this one, by the equally strange and ordinary Ray Conniff and his group of 12 singers. Though they are listed as the Ray Conniff singers, they were more commonly known as the Ron Hicklin singers and sang musical themes for Rosemary's Baby, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Happy Days, and Flipper. These vocalists were immensely hireable. One of their bass vocalists, Thurl Ravencroft, was actually the voice of Tony the Tiger for over 50 years. A seemingly bizarre entry on the Billboard Hot 100, it is strange to imagine this being a hit at the same time as the Beatles' Revolver and Rolling Stones' Aftermath. But it's a testament to the power of movie soundtracks and how they shaped American pop culture consciousness. These days, soundtracks aren't nearly this successful. In fact, none of the top 10 movie soundtracks of all time were released in the last 20 years. But in 1966, a love theme from a nearly four-hour romantic epic coexisted with Bob Dylan's blistering blonde on blonde and Wilson Pickett's Land of a Thousand Dances. In the movies, anything is possible. Coming up, we talk to Keith Menina about his favorite movie music. You're listening to American 100. No Dream Deferred is excited to announce its Summer Dream Studio, a Black-led, affordable, affirming virtual learning campus for all, with classes for everyone from youth to adult and flexible payment options. These summer courses promise to enrich and inspire our entire community. For more information, visit our Facebook page or our Instagram at NDDNOLA. Hi, Mike McKee here, host and co-producer of your favorite podcast about pop music, American 100. But did you also know that I'm a musician and recording artist myself? It's true. And if you want proof of this extraordinary claim, visit micahmckee.bandcamp.com to check out my latest release, Abundances. It's a full-length record that Anti-Gravity Magazine calls a lush, reverb-drenched escape of an album. And we could all use a little escape, couldn't we? That's micahmckee.bandcamp.com, and the shameless self-promotion ends here. Thanks, y'all. My friend Keith Menina and I are always talking about film, so I decided to ask him what his favorite movie music was. Here's a bit of our discussion. Well, it's funny you bring up the superhero soundtracks because one of the things I wanted to talk about was the Crow soundtrack. Which at the at that point, well, I was I was 13 years old. And at the time, that was the perfect mixtape that somebody would make for you. Except for that one Pantera song. 
I mean, you really, really, it's 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 damn near perfect. Like you've got Nine Inch Nails doing a, a Joy Division cover, uh, Rollins Band doing a cover by the band Suicide. Uh, there's there's the Cure, Stone Temple Pilots, Violent Femmes, and then for no reason at all, there's Pantera. One of them would be the the Watchmen movie from 2009. Like that use of the times they are a changing, it explored 50 years of their world building for the rest of the movie. And admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. If your time to you is worth saving. You know, I recently watched uh, Weekend at Bernie's and the music in that movie is so tonally weird. Um, also, that movie hasn't aged well at all. Well, yeah, you know, like, you know, the way you people, the way people, the way you should treat a fresh corpse has changed. Like myself, you've probably been around as, as many corpses as I have, which is probably not a lot. But also, I watch a lot of SVU and they stink really quickly. What do you think about movie musicals? I I love musicals, but what I love more is like non-standard musicals, like uh, The American Astronaut by uh, Corey McAbee. It's a space cowboy musical where it takes place primarily in a bar on one of the moons of Mars. It is fantastic. I heard it from a friend about you. Sit beside the breakfast table, think about your troubles, pour yourself a cup of tea, and think about the bubbles. But uh, another non-standard musical, I would I would have to say, the point. The point is one of the greatest things. I didn't want to. I mean, I didn't want to mention uh, Harry Nelson too much because it's it's been covered so much on your podcast. If you're not listening to Harry Nilsson, if you haven't listened to Harry Nilsson, you are not living right. What about a, like a horror movie soundtracks? I would say Tubular Bells by Mike Oldfield. Exorcist. If it hadn't been tied to The Exorcist, that would just be one of those hi-fi records that people would show off how great their stereo was. Like there's part one, part two, like side A, side B. But the one that got tied to Exorcist, it's terrifying. Apparently Mike Oldfield's quote about Tubular Bells is, it made me a million pounds. But the tax bill was 860,000 pounds. So they just ripped him off.
believe it or not, as far as uh, horror movie soundtracks go, um, I really like The Devil's Rejects, uh, primarily because um, they use a bunch of music by Terry Reed, which is um, just great country folk artists. Speaking of folk music, um, the the movie A Mighty Wind, the Christopher Guest film. I've recently listened to that uh, that soundtrack. It is fantastic. Oh, when the veil of dreams has lifted and the fairy tales have all been told, there's a kiss at the end. Precious than a pot of gold In tales of ancient glory Every night and maiden fair Shall be joined when the quest is over And a kiss is the oath that they All right, Rando, what's that time again? Time to randomly select the year and the two songs that we are going to talk about on the next episode of American 100. Commencing randomization. The year 1971 and the numbers 79 and 29. Which correlate with Woodstock by Matthew's Southern Comfort and Temptation Eyes by The Grassroots. American 100 is produced by yours truly, Micah McKee, along with Asher Griffith, and is presented by Cicada Radio. And with all this talk about film, we're going to leave you with one of my favorite tunes by Bell and Sebastian. This is Like Dylan in the Movies. From all of us at American 100, thanks for listening, and always keep a song in your heart. Kissing men like a long walk home when the music stops. Take a tip from me, took it to the park. When you're on your own, it's a long walk home. Well, if they follow you, don't look back. Like Dylan in the movies, on your own. If they follow you, it's not your money that they're after, boy, it's you.
This is Cicada Radio. Sing, love, die.